Hey all you heroes, hawks, heralds, crows, pirates, and wardens. Welcome to the Dragon Age Lorecast, where we unpack, discuss, and galaxy brain about all the lore behind the Dragon Age series. We are so excited to bring you this podcast. Every episode, we'll be talking about a different topic in the Dragon Age universe, from character deep dives to exalted marches and elven gods. We will cover it all. There will be spoilers. And always remember, swooping is bad. Hello and welcome to the Dragon Age Lore Cast, where we talk about all things Dragon Age and the lore of that universe. I am Austin Ortica, and I'm one of your hosts for this podcast. And I'm Shelby or Sheikup, and I'm your other host. And so we are here to continue with our Creatures series for our season four. And so last time we were here, we talked about the Hala. And now we're here to talk about what? Well, technically, the last time we were here, we talked about our survey results. But yes, so today we are back to talking about creatures. Um, So we are talking about golems and we're talking about rock wraiths as well today. So both, um, both of these are creatures that come from or are native to um the deep roads right so but they're not the same they're not related they are not even in the vicinity of being in the same creature well let's just dive right in all right so let's start with golems which i think we know more about than rock rates so golems are creatures that are usually made out of a stone sometimes out of sheets of metal they are animated and they're they're made alive through a spark of lyrium so are you ready to dive into some of the fun facts i am according to the dragon age origins game guide The process by which a golem becomes a golem is a magical process, not a mechanical process. That makes sense. It does make sense, but it's very interesting to me that something that is a dwarven invention was created via magic or by using magic. I mean, is is the creation of the golem an act of using magic? Would enchanting things being via lyrium runes also then be magic? I mean, I think that you can make that argument. I do. I know that the lore says no enchantments and rune crafting is not using magic, but can you really look at Sandal and tell me that he's not using some sort of magic when he does what he does? I think it all depends on how we define magic. Mm-hmm. So are they? Because in lore universe, I guess magic is defined by reaching into the fade and manipulating the fade's power, either bringing it into reality or using it to shape elements or bring forth your own power. At some point, to use magic, you have to touch the fade. I mean, I think that's fair. Um, but I think that the process of golem creation, enchantment, rune making, all of that, I think that it's a very gray area between magical and not magical. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. I would argue that it's not using magic. Most golems don't actually speak, which when you compare that to Shell, is very hilarious because Shale talks all the time once you get her going. That's true. And then lastly, Ogren claims that golems have very sharp memories and that they remember minor things even that happened to them years and years ago, which again, I think we see very clearly demonstrated with Shale. And we will talk about Shale quite a bit um, today. We will give her her own episode since Shale is a companion, albeit a DLC. Um, But some of this today will go into Shale just because 
Shale is a golem companion. So a lot of the information we know about golems comes from Shale and Shale's story. So let's talk about the creation of golems. As we know from Origins, which is most of where this information comes from, the Paragon Caradin was the first person who invented golems. And this was when the first blight was emerging and threatening the deep roads around minus 225 ancient. So that's a long time ago, first of all, but this is also a main quest in Origins. And a lot of the history of the golems we do learn from Origins and from Shale's DLC. So back to Caradin, to aid in the creation of his new golems, Caradin built the Anvil of the Void. He could not create new life, which meant that he had to use dwarven volunteers who could then be turned into golems. The process by which a golem is created is that the volunteer must be dressed in armor that is the size of the golem, and then the molten lyrium is poured through the eyes, mouth, and joints of the armor. Before it cools, the armor is then hammered and shaped to perfection. Enchanted control rods are what turns the golem into an obedient soldiers. Of course, this is at the cost of their own free will. What are your thoughts so far? Um, Just that I am once again convicted in my choice to destroy the anvil of the void so i have a revelation i have never not destroyed the anvil of the void i don't think i have either even in my like semi monster playthrough i i just couldn't do it it just i mean i really do believe in free will and so for me it really flies in the face of like everything um and i think also to americans it, it very much flies in the face of some of the values that we hold dear so it's really hard for me to pick that choice maybe i'll make another playthrough um that's a dwarf origin and i won't destroy it yeah but, and I, I think it comes down to like none of the origins in my opinion really want to I think would not destroy the anvil I think maybe a dwarf noble might not destroy the anvil of the void but the other ones are so bent on their own choice and their own free will I don't think that as intrinsic as it is to their background and their character I don't think any of them would make the choice to not destroy the anvil of the void. Yeah, I don't know if I agree with that entirely, but I do think that the dwarven noble is the one who has the most reasoning to preserve the anvil. But let's move on a little bit into where we see golems, how they're involved in the games. So... Because the golems helped the dwarves win an incredible victory over the darkspawn, a lot of dwarves originally in the ancient age volunteered to become golems. However, it was King Valtor who began forcing criminals, castless, and political dissidents to become golems without any choice whatsoever. After six years of continuous creation of the golems, Caradin refused to create any more golems. So in response to this, King Valtor ordered Caradin himself to be turned into a golem. And of course, this is the Caradin that we meet in Origins. He did retain his own personality because his apprentices did not know how to properly create a control rod. He, along with his supporters, then fled into the deep roads. And assuming we haven't, no one's met Caradin since this point in time. So I think it's important to stop here for a second and talk about Caradin's mental state. Um, when we meet him in Origins, he's very desperate, right, to get you to, to destroy this thing. And I'm just reflecting on six years of continuous creation. So first of all, the process is already horrifying, even if you have a willing volunteer. But 
King Valtor, and we don't know exactly the timeline of like, was it a year or two after the, like the war ended? And then we had like four or five years of golems being forced. We don't know the timeline, but six years is a long time of watching people be forced through a horrifying process of something they didn't consent to in the first place. And so I'm just thinking about the mental toll that would take on a person, um, we think about the mental toll that working in hospitals took on doctors and nurses and medical professionals during COVID. I, I can't imagine what this would be like. Yeah, that's fair. Keratin is not in a good place when we first meet him. And I think that's part of why the appeal of why I always destroy it, because I'm of the opinion if the inventor of something is screaming at you, telling you that this is a terrible thing and that he regrets making this, odds are it's a terrible thing and you should not use it. Yeah, I very much agree with that. Very much agree with that. So <clears throat> let's keep going a little bit. The shaperit of golems is responsible for the maintenance and oversight of all of the golems. They authorize whether or not golems can be sent into battle, and they also try to purchase golems from all surfacers who own one. So surfacers really are not like supposed to have golems. We we know they do, but it's it's something that's looked down upon. That's not something that they want, which I found to be um, an interesting little tidbit. So let's talk about something called the Legion of Steel for a minute. So after the loss of Caradon and, of course, the Anvil, the dwarves once again began losing ground to the Darkspawn, yet they did retain a lot of golems within their army, which led to the creation of an all-golem regiment. This regiment was called the Legion of Steel, and they had 126 golems within their order. Shale was a member of this regiment, and she was the only female member. During the reign of Queen Getha, the Legion of Steel was sent into the Deep Roads to find Caradon. No golems returned, and Caradon was not found. Because of this huge and overwhelming loss, Queen Getha was then deposed. The Shaperit declared Caradon dead, and they never again allowed an all golem unit to travel into the Deep Roads alone. It's a pretty big loss, um, especially in the sense that they don't have Caradon. So to lose all your golems, like they're irreplaceable at this point. Right. It's an it's an overwhelming loss. Like I can't imagine how devastating that would be um to to the dwarven forces i mean it's it's huge we know in the lore that lots of other people have attempted to create golems using an alternative uh, way to to create them but no one has ever been able to succeed fully at this the attempt that came the closest was an attempt to use a fade spirit to create golems this resulted in another horrifying thing which i feel like all horrifying things in dragon age come from the deep roads um but moving on, this resulted in the creation of what's called a flesh golem, um, which is pretty much what it sounds like. It's uncontrollable, and you can see some of these in the Origins DLC, the Golems of Amgarak, which if you are not a person who enjoys horror and um, that kind of stuff, I probably wouldn't recommend it. It's an interesting story. It's not super connected to the origins plot, which is totally fine, but it's um, very in the vein of of some of the stories of Tevinter Knights. So just putting that out there. So we have a few different types of golems. Not a lot changes about this other than like their abilities and some of the things um, that they can do that the process by which you make them is mostly still the same and all of that so some of the types are stone golems steel golems ethereal golems inferno golems and of course there's also the harvester and then we have three notable golems that we've met in game 
The first, of course, is the one and only Shale. And then we have Keridan, both of whom we meet in Origins. And then the third one is Thaddeus Gigantus Crumbum III, which is the Black Emporium Golem. Of course, can't forget Thaddeus. So Golems, as it comes to a fantasy world, have actually existed for a long time. They're mainly seen in D&D. And so I'm going to read what they are in D&D. And just tell me what sounds like. A golem is a construct, a magically created monster in the Dungeons and Dragons role-playing game. They are based upon golems of Jewish mythology. Uh, They are four standard types of golems. These are from weakest to strongest, flesh, clay, stone, and iron golems. All but the flesh golems are created from earthen components, clay, stone, iron, respectively. The flesh golem is created from human remains. In addition to these four types of golems, literally countless of other types exist below. The creator of a golem, typically a wizard or cleric, has control over the golem. The control of the flesh golems and clay golems has a chance of being voided proportional to the length of time the golem is used in combat. Sounds similar? Yeah, I think that sounds really similar. Um, you know, you have way more D&D experience than I do, and we know that you are a, um, a DM. So why don't you give us more of your thoughts on what you think about the similarities between the two? I think the biggest similarities that you have are obviously both are magically created creatures. And then stone, and then you have different varieties of golem. And there are more types of golems. You just, we don't have map monster stat blocks for them. But what's really interesting is that, so with dwarven golems, you need to find their control rod and you need an activation word. In D&D, a golem is created with what's called the manual of a golem. And so depending on the type of golem, that changes in the rarity. However, the manual is destroyed upon creation and the golem is then bound to its creator. So the golem will not obey anyone except its creator. So in D&D, you can go into like these old ruins and these old like tombs and stuff and you can find these golems and there, there is no way past them except to fight them. Because they can only understand, they can only understand the language of their creator. They cannot speak themselves and no one can get them to obey anything except the will of their creator. And so you have all these golems and tombs set to defend these things. And so they become very, very deadly opponents. They're immune to, they're immune to being paralyzed, charmed, feared, any kinds of things like that. They're immune to all non-magical weapons. So like if you do not have a magic weapon, you are not doing damage to a golem. Well, it's really interesting because in Dragon Age, in a lot of cases, you do still have to fight them or like there's no way to get through them because like we said, most of them don't talk. Mm -hmm. Uh, Most of them don't communicate the way Shale does. So I find that I find that really interesting um, that they do have that commonality. Yeah. And I think the biggest difference is that as long as you can find the control rod and it's been set up correctly for a golem, you can control it. That is not the case in D&D. If you were not the one who created it, you cannot control a golem. Right. But in Dragon Age, if you're not the one who created it and you have the control rod, you absolutely still can. Otherwise, the golems would no longer exist and they would have and they would have died out a long time ago. Right. All right. Well, are you ready to move on to the midbreak? I am. Yes, that's right. I stopped you to tell you that I'm an idiot. Whew. Thank the maker you know already. Now I can stop worrying. I'll be found out. Do try to have fun, dear. You could have been one of the Chargers, Blackwall. You've got the stature, the attitude, and you'd be my boss. Hey, I'm a great boss. I'm a firm believer in no-pants Fridays. I'd rather fight for a cause. Hey, 
No Pants Fridays is a cause. All right, well, welcome to the middle of the show where we come in and talk about all the things about the show that aren't about the lore. And this is where we thank our patrons. Thank you so much to our patrons. And thank you especially to our newest patron, Charlotte P., who signed up. Thank you so much for signing up at the First Enchanter tier. We'll also take this time to list our first patrons. We're going to list our first patrons, which get read out every show. So that's uh, Lisa M., Genesis, and Derek B. We also have a new Divine Tier patron, Kit. Divine Tier Kit patron who gets gets read out in the mid-break of every show. So thank you, Kit, for your support at the Divine Tier. And then our very special thank you to our Nug King, Louis H., we all bow down, all hail the Nug King. And if you would like to join our Patreon, you can do that. The link is in the episode description. We greatly appreciate that support across the board. And if you want to sign up, we greatly appreciate that. Another great way to support us is to leave us reviews and ratings on Apple or Spotify. If you leave us a rating or review with five stars and some words, we will read it out on a future episode of the show. We do not have any reviews to read today, but we do have a Hero, Hawk, or Herald to share with us today. And so today we have a Herald to share. And so Shelby, you want to read that out? I would love to. So this Herald of Andraste is from Presidente Queso in our Discord server. And actually, Queso is very new to the Dragon Age games. Um, He has shared that with us in the Discord already. And so make sure you welcome him if you see him in the Discord. So he said this about his Herald of Andraste. My Inquisitor is named Queso Fresco and is a male dwarf archer. I played mostly Paragon. Side note, if you haven't played Mass Effect, that means you've played mostly light side or you like pick the the moral choices. So that's what he's referring to. And so Queso Fresco sided with the mages as allies. I kept the wardens around and had to pick between Alistair and Hawk. I picked Alistair to stay behind in the fade, and I spent 30 minutes trying to decide this too. I did get the bell of the ball feet and spared the countess's life and sided with the empress and spared Gaspard, although I'm starting to doubt if that was actually a good idea. I let Morrigan drink from the well, and my warden, also my dwarf rogue, had romanced her. I did the dark ritual and went through the Alluvion with her in the Origins DLC. I brought Varric, Cassandra, and Solus to the final fight. I felt like it was fitting to use the squad that you started with. Queso Fresco romanced Cassandra and was not able to unharden Liliana, and Liliana also became the Divine. I picked to disband the Inquisition since it's accomplished its original goal and picked to save Solus from himself in Trespasser as well. Loved the story and music. Also loved the plot twist with Solus creating the veil and the truth about the Ebonuris. Thanks so much, uh, Queso, for sharing your Inquisitor with us. I really enjoyed it and I hope you um, are having fun here in the Dragon Age fandom. Yeah, thank you so much. And if you would like to share your Hero Hawker Herald with us, you can do that via the Discord. You can email us or you can share it via Twitter and we'll share it here on the show. Speaking of the Discord, you can join us on Discord and hang out with us at the Cups Podcasting and More server. You can find that link in the episode description. That's the best place to hang out with us. That's where all of our information comes first. You should check it out and hang out with us there. I think the last thing we have to discuss is potentially Dragon Age Absolution. Yeah. Um, so Dragon Age Absolution at the time of this recording has not come out yet, but they have streamed the first episode on the Twitch show Tune In by Geeked Netflix. So we're not going to give any spoilers for the show right now. We um, will have some mini episodes, mini bonus episodes that are going to come out right after the show is released just to keep y'all updated. Um, so you don't don't feel like you have to turn it off. We're not going to give you any spoilers. We'll be pretty intentional about that. Um, but let's just share, Austin, since we did watch it, like your preliminary thoughts about it. Um, again, spoiler free. So... Yeah, what do you think about that first episode? Um, yeah, I really liked it. Um, if you want a little more spoiler version of what I thought about it, you can check it out on the Discord. I posted something there. But one thing that I want to kind of 
share, at least here, is that this show feels like Dragon Age. It captures the tone of Dragon Age. It captures the nuance of Dragon Age. Things look and feel and behave like Dragon Age. And this is like a small thing, but even to the point of like people fight and they have blood stains on them. Like it doesn't get any more Dragon Age than that. I mean, how much of us have winced after we fought, we talked with our romance and they've got blood stained on their teeth. Or you have blood stains all over your face when you kiss them. Yeah. <laughs> no, I agree with that. I very much agree with that. Um, I think the voice acting is going to just be absolutely superb. Um, I'm so excited. There are so many huge names, some very classic Bioware voice actors like Kimberly Brooks and Sumali Montano, who Kimberly Brooks voices Ashley in Mass Effect and Sumali Montano. I'm, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. I'm sorry if I'm not. She voices the American female inquisitor. So that's already a star-studded cast. And then there's the other ones like Matt Mercer. And there's just a lot of really amazing um, voice actors. And that was something that I really noticed. I know a lot of people have been really skeptical um, about Netflix anime and adaptations lately, especially after some of the Witcher news. And I completely understand that and have some of those uh, fears and anxieties myself. But so far, I'm really optimistic about it. Another thing that I I have enjoyed is that the characters don't seem to be, what's the word? They don't seem to be like shallow. They don't seem to be one dimensional. Um, They're very clearly setting up some stories that they're going to explore in the season. And that's exciting. We're also getting, if I might brag on myself a little bit, I did say a long time ago, I think in our season two, that the Lords of Fortune is a faction that I thought they would be bringing into DAD or any new media, and that has been confirmed. So just bragging on myself for being correct about that. Yeah, definitely. And like for anyone who is just a little skeptical, especially from the writing perspective, the lead writer and showrunner of Dragon Age Absolution was a writer on one of what I think is one of the best Justice League animated movies, which is Justice League Dark Apocalypse War, which if you haven't watched that and you love the Justice League, go watch that. It's fantastic and it's awesome. And one thing that I will say is that in that story, like they're not afraid to take risks in that story and really push the envelope of what's expected in the universe, but in a way that stays true to the universe itself. And so... I have really high hopes now for this show. I agree with that. And another thing that I thought was really interesting is, so the showrunner, her name's Megred Scott, I believe. And they gave on the show on Twitch, they had a little interview with her before they showed the episode. And she said, like, I'm going to directly quote her because I wrote it down because I was like, this is tingling my brain a little bit. She said she had three ideas that she pitched for this show. And she had one idea that she loved, but she never in a million years thought would they would pick it. And she described it as a small little mean idea. And that's the show that they picked to make. That's terrifying. <laughs> um, it's something all right. Um, I also just want to say that, because this will come up about, remember that just because there are outside media that follow a certain canon does not mean that that's going to be the set canon or world state for the games. There was tons of media that came out before Inquisition with certain world states set and... You we Inquisition came out and you could create a world of your own with your choices. So just because certain decisions might be made canon or made prevalent in this story does not mean that you will not have an option to play a world state with the choices that you made in upcoming DAD. Right. Like, for example, Alistair is king in some of the comics. Obviously, that's not true in your world state in uh, Inquisition if that's not true for your world state. So, yeah, that's very important to name. Thank you. All right. Well, let's get back to it. Beg that I succeed, for I have seen the throne of the gods and it was empty. 
Your glibness does you no credit. You fear barbarians will swoop down upon you. Yes, swooping is bad. So let's talk about rock wraiths. This one's going to be really fast because we don't know a ton. But rock wraiths, we meet them in Dragon Age 2. They're also referred to as the profane. They're legendary creatures that inhabit certain sections, especially really ancient sections of the Deep Roads. So I only have two fun facts about them. And the first one is that dwarves refer to them as rock wraiths, but they refer to themselves as the profane. So we already have two names for them. And we're not really sure why that is the case. Uh, we just know that it is. And then my second fun fact is that rock wraiths or the profane often appear in dwarven children's stories, um, kind of like a boogeyman in an attempt to scare young dwarves into good behavior, which fair, they're pretty terrifying. So um, if you remember, uh, they do appear in Dragon Age 2, but before that, they do appear in, in lore and in universe in Dwarven legends, especially children's fairy tale esque stories. They say that there are some dwarves who are so corrupt and so evil that even the stone rejects them. This means that they're doomed to wander the deep roads forever, and eventually they become the rock wraiths. They're creatures of hunger, wrath, and very little else. So I did bring a codex entry, which is classic Shelby, but in the codex entry for the profane, we find a poem that was written on a wall in the lost Ravan Tig. The poem was found by explorer Faruma Helmi, Helmi as a house in Origins, and so this poem was found in 510 Exhaust, Exalted. I always say 510 or whatever, exhausted instead of exalted age. Literally, you know, every time I try to say it. If I lived in the exalted age, I'd probably be exhausted too. I live in this age and I'm exhausted. I feel like anyone who lives in any age in Dragon Age is probably exhausted unless you're like super wealthy, noble, and or layer to venter. Anyways, so that, that was 510 exalted for the record. But the poem is as follows. We who are forgotten, remember, we clawed at rock until our fingers bled. We cried out for justice, but were unheard. Our children wept in hunger, and so we feasted upon the gods. Here we wait in eons of silence. We few, we profane. What do you think about this codex entry? So if you played DA2, which I know we'll talk about DA2 involvement in a little bit, Odds I have are, never played DA2. I've never played it. I don't think you have either. Okay. Most of us have brought Anders to the Deep Roads because we know what happens and we want our sibling to live. And Anders, when you interact with the profane that talks to you, it's really interesting because Anders will say this is some kind of demon or spirit, likely a demon of hunger. Which is very interesting, and it's interesting that Rock Wraith and Profane are often used interchangeably because in the game text, you fight the Profane. You don't fight a Rock Wraith until the final boss of the Deep Roads. The big old thing that like shoots things, and you gotta get behind the pillars, and you get really mad if you don't get behind the pillars, and Varric always never stands behind the pillars, and then he yep. goes down. Yep, I know exactly what you're talking about. So in the gameplay, they're a little bit different. Is that what you're arguing? Well, I just think it's interesting that they choose to call, they choose to differentiate between rock wraith and profane. But I believe the actual text is like ancient rock wraith. Mm -hmm. Which sometimes in D&D, ancient is just meant to mean really old and really powerful. Right. Yeah, I do think that that quote about Anders with Anders saying that it's a hunker demon is really interesting in light of this poem, uh, because, I mean, it literally says we cried out for justice, but were unheard. Our children wept in hunger. Like, obviously, that's referring to literal hunger. But as it comes just after a line about justice and being unheard and seeking justice, I think it has a little bit of a double meaning there. Um so I think that that's really interesting. But like another theory that I just kind of want to throw out here really quickly 
is we don't know how many times Carradine failed before he created a successful Gollum. Right. There's a lot of magic going on in here. There's a lot of using of lyrium and a lot of stuff going on. Could the creation of the profane, could all of these be failed Gollum people mm-hmm. that they buried, but then with the spark of lyrium, they come out and are corrupted and the rock clings to their essence and they become uh, the profane. Yeah, yeah, I don't think that's beyond the pale of of uh, possibility here, especially I'm thinking about the Golems of Amgreg DLC um, because we just mentioned it, but also because I was reading about it and doing prep for this episode. And, you know, in that DLC, the dwarves are working with a Tiventer mage. Uh, I can't remember if he's a magister or not, but um, like, you know, it's implied blood magic. And so like that's already happening. So how many more times did that happen over the years that we just don't know about? I think it's really possible that the profane could actually be human or dwarven or even elven um, creations that that went wrong. I think that's entirely possible, especially again, also with uh, the horror of Hormac uh, short story from Tevinter Nights. I also think that it's possible to come in here and think about Red Lyrium and its involvement in this process. And mm-hmm. could the profane be a result of using Red Lyrium as opposed to regular Lyrium? Because the ancient rock wraith very much gives Red Lyrium power vibes when it all of its things is colored red. And like DA2 is a very red color schemed game to begin with. Mm-hmm. So that's fair. Well, let's move on to how they're involved um, a little bit briefly, because this is the last thing before we get into our side character. But in DA2, Hawk and Company, they meet a large number of both rock, wraith, rock wraiths and profanes in the primeval tide. This is where this happens, um, kind of in that in-between liminal space between Act 1 and 2. Um, they've they've been feeding there off of Valyrium, which I think completely goes along with your uh assertion about red lyrium like how has that affected this process because this is very close to where they find the red lyrium idol so we don't really know how that's interacted to create this either um but then hawk can you know make a deal with a demon to stop killing the profanes um and to kill the ancient rock wraith and and all of that fighting all of those fights is how they get out of the primeval tide so this is the only place we've ever seen this in lore that i am aware of so this is kind of an a one and done like very interesting tie-in um when I first started the Descent DLC, I had wondered if this would come back and it didn't really. So that was something I was kind of surprised about. Well, and then here's another kind of thought to think about, especially between uh, our children wept in hunger. And so we feasted upon the gods. Let's think about poetry for a minute. Like the gods for the dwarves or the Titans. Mm-hmm. And Let's look in theme a little bit about when we fight the like uh, avatar of the Titan at the end of the DLC of the Descent DLC and in Inquisition. Mm-hmm. It fights very similar to one. It fights very similar to the Corypheus fight in Legacy DLC, where you've got to run around and avoid all these things that come up after it, and it fights very similar to the ancient Rock Wraith, and it's pulling the stone and interacting with the stone. So perhaps the ancient rock wraith is this kind of corrupted avatar of the Titan that these profane have been feeding on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I absolutely think that that's 100% possible. So do you have any more thoughts about rock wraiths, profanes, or golems before we move into our side character today? Um, my last thought is I know we love our elves. But the dwarves have such deep lore. We need some love for the dwarves in the game, Mm -hmm. like main storyline stuff in the games. I completely agree. I think I think the dwarves have actually some maybe some darker lore than than the elves do. So, yeah, I absolutely agree with you. Um, But let's move on to our side character, who is a long anticipated, long awaited side character. Today, we're talking about the one, the only Sandal Fedek. Enchantment? Yes. So 
So Sandal's birth parents and his life until he was five years old is completely unknown. Now, there are a lot of theories and implications and fan fan stuff out there. We'll unpack it at the end. I'm, I'm going to completely ignore that until the end. And I'm just going to tell you what we know. So I'm going to start with his story as what is in the facts. And that is that he was found by Bodan Fedek when Sandal was five years old. Bodan and his merchant company were looking for ancient dwarven artifacts in a location that was past the old Idukan Taig. This was an extremely remote and dangerous location. Sandal was found in a chamber within the Taig. The chamber itself contained a glittering wall with mosaics of ancient heroes featuring paragons, elves, dwarves, dragons, and other unknown creatures. I've already mentioned the horror of Hormac once here, but I'm just going to reiterate that and just yikes. So when Bodan saw Sandal, he asked him what he was doing and Sandal replied, they're coming. Moments later, the party heard the screams of Darkspawn. Bodan and his company ran away as fast as they could, and they brought Sandal with them. Sandal was never alarmed. He never cried during the whole excursion. And ever since then, Bodan has been Sandal's father. His appearance is that Sandal is blonde-haired and blue-eyed. He has, uh, or there is some side dialogue in the Legacy DLC from Dragon Age 2, and so some of the Carta dwarves are gossiping and they're talking about how Sandal looks like a half dwarf and um, or that Sandal looks like the half dwarf Idukin bastard who went missing years and years earlier. The mother was either elven or human. We don't really know. And that's an in-game theory, um, not a fan theory. I thought that was a fan theory for the longest time, but that is gossip from in-game. So also according to Bodan, Sandal might be lyrium addled due to his exposure to lyrium in the Deep Roads. He also claims that the Circle of Magi declared Sandal a savant, which is kind of like a super gifted person in one particular area. Um, and so they wanted to keep Sandal to study and so that he could enchant for them. Bodan did not like this. And so they left. Um, so Sandal is really unable to care for himself totally, um, at least according to Bodan. Um, and he does have a limited mental capacity for like common tasks, like conversations with people. And so he usually repri- replies with one word answers, like the word enchantment, obviously, which is iconic. Um, but Sandal excels at enchanting and runecrafting, like we mentioned earlier. And Sandal is also the person that enchants your weapons when you give him runes in Origins. We do see Sandal a lot in Origins and 2, but we also have a codex entry for him in Dragon Age Inquisition. Um, And I'll get to that in a minute. But I see a lot of people say, oh, Sandal doesn't appear in Inquisition, which is technically true, but we do have references from him. So it's not entirely 100% accurate. But in Origins, let's go back to the beginning, Sandal and Bodan are rescued from Darkspawn as the Warden is leaving Lothering. They can then join your expedition and become your merchants at the camp. Sandal is also at Redcliffe Castle before the final battle of Dinarum. And he's also met again during the climax um, of the of the game in Dinarum at Fort Draken, surrounded by dead darkspawn and covered in blood. When asked what happened, all he'll say is enchantment. When Bodan is not with him, he does often have his dad's goods in stock available for purchase. So we can argue that this is just so that the player can restock. But in DA2, Bodan and Sandal travel again to Kirkwall, working as merchants. They accompany Hawk on the expedition to the Deep Roads. While in the Deep Roads, Sandal has gone missing. Hawk then finds Sandal unharmed, surrounded by dead darkspawn, similar to what happened at Fort Draken in Origins. When questioned, he hands Hawk a rune of frost and says, Boom. 
Upon further inspection of the area, there's also a frozen ogre in like mid stance getting ready to charge at you. And when you ask about this, Sandal simply says, not enchantment. After the expedition, Bodan and Sandal set up shop in the Amel estate. Bodan then mentions that they left the Mage Tower because he was afraid they wouldn't let Sandal leave. In Act 3, Bodan tells Hawk that Sandal was offered a position in Orlais by Empress Selene. So his work is, is well-renowned at this point in time. Sandal last appears in the gallows with Hawk's storage chest, as well as selling all of Bodan's wares and enchantments near several slain mages, Templars, and demons, including a pride demon in a similar way to what happened during the Battle of Denerim at Fort Draken. So this is now the third time that we've seen Sandal have some miraculous killing of an extremely difficult enemy. I say all the time, I don't believe in coincidences. So I'm just going to note three, three times. Sandal is also briefly mentioned in letters sent to Varric during the war table missions in Inquisition. And um, so he basically comments that a dwarf by the name of Worthy has never forgiven Varric for causing Sandal to join Hawk as Hawk's Grimcrafter instead of joining with Worthy. Uh, Sandal is also mentioned by Dagna during a conversation regarding her title as an arcanist in the Undercroft. And then lastly, the last place we see Sandal referenced in Inquisition is inside the Shattered Library in Trespasser DLC. How it got there is completely unknown. Nearby is a dead Kunari who's been impaled with several stakes. The journal spans almost two years of time in Thetis from 941 to 942 Dragon. There are different entries with different months. All entries say enchantment, but they have different punctuation. So that to me implies, again, that Sandal killed the Kunari. Um, so that is up to four difficult enemies that Sandal has killed. I brought one quote, um, and then we can get into some discussions. And this quote is more of a conversation. So Sandal says, one day the magic will come back, all of it. Everyone will be just like they were. The shadows will part and the skies will open wide. Bodan says, huh? What's this? Sandal says, when he rises, everyone will see. Bodan says, by the ancestors, what's gotten into you, my boy? Sandal says, enchantment? And then Bodan says, hmm, that's more like it. I know that there are many Dragon Age theorists and fans and content creators who says that this is about Solus. I remain unconvinced. Interesting. I think this is about, I think this is about someone we haven't met yet. Because has the Dread Wolf risen? Has Finn Harrell risen? Did he ever really fall? I mean, that's a good point. I would argue that Solas coming back is his rise. But you're right in that a lot of the marketing for Dragon Age Dread Wolf has been the Dread Wolf returns. So I guess I get, I get where you're coming from in that. I just don't. In my experience with Bioware and Dragon Age, I do not trust that the thing that they market is the big bad and the main point of the story. Mm -hmm. And I know you know, but for our listeners, you know, Origins Marketing never mentioned Loghain. DA2 never mentioned the Templars or Meredith or anything like that. And Inquisition never mentioned Corypheus. It did have the veil torn in the sky, but is that you really kind of solved that problem at least partly within the first act of the game. Mm -hmm. So I think that there is something else going. I really think there's something else going on at work, especially with, you know, this today is DA day or Dragon Age day that we are recording this episode. And with the, trailer that they released 
I the artwork of Solus, the Dread Wolf, with the Dread Wolf kind of standing behind him. We talked a lot about this on our Solus episode, but I think that gives more credence to the fact that the Dread Wolf and Solus and Fen Harrell are not necessarily the same person, but rather than just a title given, and that the true Dread Wolf is rising. Yes, I very much agree with all of that, but I don't want to see it too off topic. So let's get back to Sandal a little bit. Um, So I have a couple things that I want to discuss. First, before we get into fan theories, um, I want to talk about this. And so this is that I think that Sandal is pretty clearly coded as autistic. Um, He speaks in not a lot of words. He doesn't have very many social skills. He um, has intense interest in very specific things. Um, All of these kind of um, things point to being things that autistic people generally also experience in their lives. So I'm wondering if Sandal is good representation of an autistic person or is his depiction harmful? What do you think? I think it's hard to really say. Um, I could see how it could be harmful. I could see how it could be like characterizing or caricatures or stereotyping of a particular person. But I also could see how it is good because like Sandal is lifted up as like powerful and able to really fend for his own, even though Bodan's like Sandal wouldn't get anywhere without me. He's proven that he has great power and really the only person we've ever seen wield the same amount of power as Sandal is Solus, which gets into one of our theories coming up. My gut says to know that it is a okay representation. It's not straight up harmful, but there could be better representations. I do think Cole might be a better representation than Sandal in a lot of ways, but that's my thought. But I would I would defer to the autistic community on that. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, I am really torn on it, too. I think that Sandal started as a joke in Origins um, and then very much caught on with the fans as kind of an iconic quote um, generator character. Um, and, and he just became iconic. And I think I truly think the d- developers were kind of caught off guard by the the fandom's love for Sandal. So I think he really did start as a joke. And then they felt like in two, we have to make him we have to give him a little bit more development because we don't want him to just be a character of an autistic person. And now I'm not saying that because I know or have inside knowledge about Bioware. That's just my gut. That's what I'm kind of guessing at. Um, so I, I do really think he started as a joke in Origins, and I don't love that. I think that that is harmful. So I go back and forth as well. Um, but you're right in that he is a symbol of power, even though he doesn't seem like he would be. Um, it's a hard question to answer. And I absolutely would defer to to someone who is autistic and, and their opinion. So if you would like to, if you are autistic and you have thoughts on this, feel free to hop in our Discord and share your thoughts with us or even like write into the show. If you want to email us, um, we'll read out some of the answers on on next week's episode. So in addition to Sandal being coded as autistic, there are a ton, a ton of fan theories out there. So I'm going to read all the fan theories I compiled. And I know there's more than these, but these are some of the big ones. So after I get done reading all of the fan theories, we can talk about if any of them have any real weight. So the first fan theory is that Sandal is the maker. Sandal is also the first dwarven mage. The third one is that Sandal is actually a Shabratal. The fourth is that Sandal is a Titan. And the last is that Sandal is June, the elven god of craft. So do you think any of these theories have any real weight to them? Why or why not? Do you have any other thoughts about Sandal that are that's also wrapped up in fan theories? I, in my own theory about Sandal, I will tell you, I think Sandal is just a... He's just a dude. I think he has lyrium altered brain a little bit. And I think he's just a way 
a means in which Bioware can insert a little bit of their commentary and their little fan service into a character. And I think his placement around other things are purely mechanical in that giving you, like you said, giving you access to weapons and other things before big fights and all of the enemies surround him is just them giving a in-universe thing of like, oh, Sandal, you just appeared here? Way to go. No, like he killed a bunch of people and that's how he's here. And I think that's really how to explain that. That's what I think Sandal is, 100%. I don't think there's really any more to him than that. That being said, I think the theories that give the most credit for me are that Sandal is Shabri Tal and that Sandal is June, the god of craft. And I think that mainly because it would be interesting because if we include fan theories, we have four of the eight Evanuris present if we include fan theories. So we've got Solus as Fen Harrell, Flynn Mithal, Sarah as Andriel, Sandal as June. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it could be, we could even get into things of like Fainreal being, you know, uh, Dirthamin or Faladin with his connection to dreams. And, you know, we do talk about dreams being close to death. That's not something that is unknown in Dragon Age universe. So we could have these different things coming up. So I think that June, the God of Craft, makes sense a little bit. Him being found in the Deep Roads is really interesting to me particularly since the old gods are imprisoned in the deep roads. And we do think there's some connection to the old gods and the Evanuris and something like that. And then yes. Shabertal makes sense because, okay, this child of the Shabertal is just found. I don't actually think the Shabertal or the Titan makes a lot of sense to me. I think that the June elven god of craft theory is very interesting because of the theory that the old gods and the Ebeneris are the same pantheon. And knowing that the old gods are buried deep within the deep roads and Sandal was just found locked in a chamber in the deep roads. Like he wasn't just found wandering. He was found locked in a chamber in the deep roads. That's very suspicious to me. So I think that one definitely also bears the most weight, especially given that Sandal's whole talent is crafting and creating things just like June. So that's the one for me that stands out the most. I also think that Sandal being the first Dwarven Mage also um, has some weight to it. We kind of teased that earlier, but um, he is immensely talented more you can argue that sandals enchantments and rune crafting is more talented than anyone else in the dragon age universe because number one of the circle's fascination with him and number two because empress selene hired him so to me that that definitely also has a weight that he might be the first dwarven mage but we've also talked about volta potentially also being the first dwarven mage so i think there are two and even dagna being the first dwarven mage although she kind of denies it in inquisition so i think that there are some avenues for that as well so i think that that theory makes sense too and to kind of relate it back to the other episode sandal could also be a failed golem experiment how do you figure that one well just because of lyrium's involvement in the golem creation and Bodan saying that he'd been exposed to too much lyrium mm-hmm. and so maybe he kind of like when they went crazy like in the experiment failed sandal kind of goes crazy he has all these powers he's killing things so the people who are experimenting lock him in the idukan thigh yeah i can see that mm-hmm. i don't necessarily agree with it but i can see the argument for it um, and like I said, there are a lot of other fan theories out there, but these are kind of the ones that are not just one-offs and have more um, weight to them. So it's not an exhaustive list. But before we go, Austin, do you have any final thoughts about anything we've discussed on this episode? More dwarves. That's my only thought. More dwarves. I agree. I agree, Bioware. Please be listening. Yeah, and so that's all we got. And a special shout out to our Nung King patron, Lewis H., who gets a special shout out at the end of every episode. Thank you so much for your support. And thank you for listening to the Dragon Age Lorecast. We will see you next week.
Thanks for listening to the Dragon Age Lorecast. You can find us on Twitter at DALorecast. If you have any lore questions, topics to unpack, or side character suggestions, join our Cups Podcasting and More Discord server. It's easily the best place on the internet. You can also support us financially through our Patreon. You can find us there on patreon.com slash dragonagelorecast. The Dragon Age Lorecast is part of the Robots Radio Network. For more information about the Robots Radio Network, join the Discord server via the link in our episode description. If you enjoyed the show or learned something new today, please subscribe, leave us a review, and join the Patreon. And if you enjoyed our intro and outro music, give a big thank you to Pipe Man Studios. Thank you, Pipe Man. Thanks again for listening to the Dragon Age Lorecast. We'll see you next time. Ever wanted to be a content creator but had no clue where to begin? Come join me as I sit down with content creators that have already faced the challenges you're up against as they discuss the tips and tricks that help them be successful. Here on The Content Creator's Guide, available wherever podcasts can be found.